The last six months have been unbelievably challenging. Uh, we are emotionally exhausted. Uh, I don't need to tell you this. Nobody prepared us for this. Uh, we began with a pandemic. 300 pandemics have killed 300 million human beings across human history. Uh, the worst was Spanish flu. Uh, others were malaria, cholera, tuberculosis, AIDS, and now coronavirus. As we sell more glo uh, goods globally and air uh, travel and cruise travel increases, we can expect to see an increase in pandemics. We've combined COVID with an economic shutdown. Uh, I believe over half of the people in our church have been negatively impacted. Uh, many have lost their jobs. Talked to one person in the first service, lost her job twice. Uh, some have seen their incomes uh, greatly decreased. Um, we've had, uh, combined this with social unrest, riots, and all during an election year. November 2018 Axios poll says 58% of Republicans have unfavorable impression of the Democratic Party and 55% of Democrats have an unfavorable impression of the Republican Party. The president, our senators, congressional leaders, governors, mayors, business leaders, and pastors, none of us have led through times like these. Maybe you're not a follower of Christ, and you sense the uncertainty in our country. Whether you're a teenager or in your 90s, single or married, you can feel the turbulence in our times. If you missed last week, let me catch you up. Uh, in this series, I'm talking about how to navigate our uncertain times. I suggested four things are needed to lead in uncertain times. First, provide clarity. People want, in, in, in certain times, they want certainty. But no leader can tell you what's going to happen in the next 60 days. We can't give certainty, but we can give the next best thing, clarity. God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The only reason he would say that is because people do get afraid and people do get discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I can't tell you with certainty what's going to happen in the months ahead, but I can tell you with clarity that God will see us through this. He is bigger than the pandemic. He's bigger than the economic shutdown. He's bigger than the social unrest. And he's bigger than the results of the election. Second, we need to present choices. You say, if you do this, things are not likely to go well for you. But if you do this, things will probably go well for you. Third, leaders need to give hope. People are longing for hope. They're wondering, will we ever get through this? The gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. 
We need to share Christ and invite people to church like never before. Fourth, leaders need to display humanity. We may not know all the answers to our challenging times, but we can show people that we understand the suffering they are going through. We have to show empathy. People will follow a leader if they sense the leader cares about them. When we're in a crisis, it's easy to get absorbed in ourselves and drift from God. Joy's cousin lives in Fullerton, California. It's interesting that she attends the same church where Carrie has worked uh, for, for over the last year. Out of college, she married her husband who had just graduated from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago to become a missionary pilot. God blessed them with a beautiful baby girl. And shortly after that, they boarded a ship for West Irian and New Guinea. On the ship, Carol noticed that her husband was getting a little too friendly with some of the other female passengers. When they got there, God blessed them with twin boys. Her husband's carousing continued. After a few years, she got hepatitis and they had to come home. They had no sooner got home than he left her for another woman. He abandoned the family. He never visited the children. They're three beautiful children. He never paid a dime of child support. And he never went back into the ministry. He drifted from following Christ. How can we avoid drifting from Christ during these uncertain times? To show you, we turn to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of Judah for 45 years. In Jeremiah 3.19, Jeremiah tells us what God says. I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land. He gave them the land of Canaan which is where modern-day Israel is, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. The people of Judah were unfaithful to God like Jory's cousin's husband was unfaithful to her. God led the people out of the land of Egypt into the land of Canaan, demonstrating himself to be the only true God. He demolished the false gods of Egypt in bringing the people out. Yet years later, the people drifted back to worshiping the gods of Egypt and of Assyria and Babylon of Canaan. God asked, what happened? I gave you this beautiful land. The the land where modern day Israel is is one of the most fertile pieces of land in in the world. I treated you like sons and daughters. I thought you would call me father. But like an unfaithful spouse, you left me. I loved you. I protected you. 
Why would you throw all that away? Why do they drift from God? Why are we tempted to drift from God? We can take steps to avoid drifting from God. I find in Jeremiah, the chapters we're going to look at today, three ways we can guard against drifting from God. One, recognize that drifting from God results in disastrous consequences. I call this play the movie forward. If I keep doing what I'm doing now, if I drift from God, what's going to happen in six months? What's my life going to look like in a year or five years? Because the people of Judah turn away from God, they are hounded by their enemies, their crops fail. Jeremiah tells them, this is silly. This is self-inflicted. He writes, have you not brought this on yourselves? Many of our problems, not all of them, but many of them are self-inflicted by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Your own conduct and actions have brought this upon you. This is self-inflicted, folks. This is your punishment, how bitter it is, how it pierces to the heart. God says, consider why all these terrible things are happening. Is somebody else causing your problems? You're bringing disaster upon yourselves. When we disobey Christ, God disciplines us by allowing our sins to catch up to us. Although God promises to protect the people of Judah, they seek security by forging political alliances with other countries. God says, why do you go about so much changing your ways? You'll be disappointed by Egypt as you were by Assyria. So they, they tried to establish uh, uh, political alliances with these countries. He says, you will also leave that place with your hands on your head, for the Lord has rejected those you trust. You will not be helped by them. The people of Judah turn away from God <clears throat> and try to fortify their country by making political alliances with countries around them. God says, why are you on the road to Assyria? Why are you walking to Egypt? You're not going to get any help there. I'm the only one who can help you. Jeremiah warns the people of Judah that if they do not return to God, they will be killed or taken into captivity in Babylon. His message falls on deaf ears. They laugh at him. But eventually, Babylon comes, attacks Jerusalem, kills many people, and takes many more into captivity. Jeremiah warned the people of Judah 2,600 years ago. But I feel like he could be writing to us today. We live in a post-Christian age. Church attendance has declined. Reliance on God has decreased. And we're facing disastrous consequences. You could argue that the rioting and hatred we see is a consequence of choices we have made over the years to drift from God. 
You can guard against drifting from God by remembering that when you do, you will face disastrous consequences. The consequences are always disastrous because we drift toward evil. Evil is hollow. There's nothing good in it. It does not satisfy. Only God satisfies. That's something that Jeremiah sees. T.S. Eliot ranks as one of the most important poets of the 1900s. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1948 after writing his famous Wasteland in 1922. In 1925, he writes The Hollow Man. Uh, he was not a Christian at the time, and he was a very bitter man. Uh, it was his last writing before he met Christ and discovered the love of God. It's after becoming a Christian that he writes The Journey of the Magi. You've probably read, which tells of his discovery of Christ. Listen to the hollow man. It sounds like Jeremiah. We are the hollow men. We are stuck men, leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. Alas, our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind in dry grass or rats' feet over broken glass. Notice his vivid writing in our dry cellar. Shape without form, shade without color, paralyzed force, gesture without motion. Then look at his haunting ending. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. Eliot sees the emptiness of evil. Jeremiah sees it too. In his prophecy of judgment... He sees how empty we are when we do not rely on God. Evil never satisfies. Only God satisfies. Jeremiah knows this. When we drift from God, we drift toward evil. Two, hold our spiritual and government leaders accountable. Jeremiah writes, The priest did not ask, Where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets, notice, it's the priests, the leaders, and the prophets. All of them drift from God. Prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Jeremiah continues, the prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority, and my people Love it this way. The drifting begins with the leaders. God's people are never more vulnerable to theological and moral error than when their pastors drift from God. I feel for the thousands of unsuspecting American Christians who attend churches where the pastor no longer believes the Bible is true. No longer believes that Jesus is the Son of God and the only way to a restored relationship with God. To keep from drifting from God, you need to hold the leaders of our church accountable to teaching the Word of God. We also must hold our national leaders accountable. National leaders derive their authority from us, the consent of the governed. One of the ways we do this is by our vote. We should all vote. What do we hold them accountable to? To the ideals of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. 
our declaration reads that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So we believe that all people are created equal. Where do we get this equality? It's given to us by God, our creator. We believe in God, that there's a creator. And it's because of him and that we're made in his image that all people are of equal value. Anytime our leaders take away our right to worship or restrict our right to worship, they are drifting from our ideals. When Microsoft introduced Windows 95, they had a big TV and print media campaign. It had two children running across a, gr- a lush green field with a kite. It was, there were no fences around the field. It was completely open. And there are just two words on the ad. No limits. It's kind of the lie of our age that we have no limits. We can do whatever we want. We determine our own destiny. This is the message we hear more and more in our country. We don't need God. We can just rely on ourselves and our government. We don't need God to have rights. Government will give us rights. But when we embrace such thinking, we are drifting from our national ideals. That our equality and our rights came from God because we were made in God's image. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When our government begins to restrict our right to work and we lose our freedom of speech, our leaders are drifting from our national ideals. We are losing our freedom of speech. People lost their jobs in the last few years because they expressed their freedom of speech and it was different from the party line. People have had their posts taken down from Google and Facebook, which owns Twitter and Instagram, because their speech varied from the party line. If we don't do something to break up or rein in Google and Facebook, I fear we will lose freedom of speech. And that's a seismic shift from our national ideals. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. We alter our government through our vote. Three, acknowledge our drifting and return to God. Jeremiah's advice to stop drifting is so straightforward because it's so spare. Jeremiah writes, only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree. Uh, People would worship false idols that they would set up on hilltops under trees and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. To stop drifting from God, we confess it and return to God. The cure to drifting is to return to God. The Hebrew and Greek words for return mean to repent to turn around. 
The repentance has to be genuine. Jeremiah writes, Have you not just called to me, my father, my friend, for my youth? Will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. The people of Judah talk about God and Him being their father, but at the same time, they're doing all the evil they can. That's not genuine repentance. The cure for drifting is genuine repentance. The primary, the number one message of Jeremiah is of impending doom if the people of Judah do not return to God. But we shouldn't see Jeremiah as simply a prophet of doom. Throughout Scripture, God's warnings are conditional. And if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. Judgment occurs only if people refuse to repent. With the judgment, we always find grace available. Prophets have a ministry of judgment and grace. Although Jeremiah proclaims prophecies of judgment... His primary purpose is to call people to repentance. Forty-seven times, Jeremiah tells the people, return. Jeremiah writes, go proclaim this message toward the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Instead of rejecting his people, God calls them to return and be restored. The cure for drifting is to acknowledge you have drifted and returned to God. Jeremiah goes on in Jeremiah uh, 3, verse 22. Return, faithless people. I will cure you of backsliding. God says, I'll cure you of your drifting. This is profound. This is not something we do, but something God does for us. This is what sets apart Christian faith from all other religions in the world. It's not us working our way up to earn God's favor It's God reaching down through Christ to save us. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We're all weak and prone to drift. God wants to save us from our tendency to drift if we let Him. Don't be stubborn like the people of Judah. Let God help you not drift. Why did the people drift from God? Why do we drift? We drift when our devotion for the Lord cools. It can creep into a marriage. When the partners do not continue to date and work to keep the embers of romance burning, you who are married or have been married, do you remember when you first met your mate? You couldn't wait to see each other and to talk to each other. Do you remember your honeymoon? You were inseparable. You were in love. 
Now your mate says, you don't look at me the way you used to. You don't touch me the way you used to. Things have changed. The same thing can happen in our relationship with Christ. Remember when you first met Christ? You bounced out of bed to read His Word. You were so excited about Christ, you bubbled over with enthusiasm. You couldn't wait for Sunday to roll around. You wanted everybody to come to church with you. Now your fervor has cooled. You're not even sure you're going to come to church on Sunday. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Have you lost your first love? Jesus goes on, Consider how you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. To stop drifting, we repent and do the things we did at first. Jeremiah writes, What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through a land of desert and rifts? Talking about the Sinai. A land of drought and darkness. A land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. So how do we stop drifting from God? We can take steps to avoid drifting from God. One, recognize that drifting from God results in disastrous consequences. Look ahead. If I continue to do this, what will happen in a year or two years? Two, hold our spiritual and government leaders accountable. And three, acknowledge our drifting and return to God. You can confess your drifting this morning as we pray. If you've never given your life to Christ, today you can say, Christ, I believe you're the Son of God. You died for my sins. Come into my life and forgive me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jeremiah. He served for 45 years. He loved the people of Judah. And he spoke your word. He told the people not to drift. Father, we confess that we tend to drift. All of us do. I want to give you a moment right now just to pray silently. Tell God if you think you're drifting or how you think you're drifting from Him. Ask Him to come and help you. He says He can heal you of drifting. If you've never given your life to Christ, you can do it right now and commit your life to Christ and pray to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us through Jeremiah. We do live in uncertain times, and we know it's easy to drift in these difficult times and we confess that and commit to returning to you and Father we do pray for our country 
Lord, we pray that you would bring an end to the pandemic. We pray that you would help us with the economic shutdown, restore jobs, restore incomes to people. And Lord, help us with the social unrest, the rioting. We need your help. You're the only one that can save us, and we turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray.